Nicole and I and our kids, we were gone uh, for about a week and a half. It just worked out that we could go and visit my family in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where I'm from. And then our national conference for Frugal Baptist was just three hours south of Virginia Beach in Raleigh. So we were able to go be with them and then go down for the conference. I serve on the executive committee of our national association, which that means there are some 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 things that we do, some work that we do behind the scenes to, to make the conference happen. And because of that, I have a meeting on Friday evening before the conference starts on Sunday. And so I drove down from Virginia Beach to attend that meeting on Friday, left Nicole and the kids uh, there in Virginia to continue playing with the cousins and having a good time, went to that meeting and then drove back that night. It made for a really long day. I didn't get back till after 2 a.m., but it meant that I was back on Saturday for us to have uh, some more fun together on the water. When I made that trip by myself from Virginia Beach down to Raleigh, I was making a trip I had made many times before because when I lived in Virginia Beach, I attended college in North Carolina for a little while. Before that, we played a lot of basketball in North Carolina around Raleigh. So I had made that trip multiple times. And so when I got in the car to leave, I was headed down a road that I'd been down many times. I knew the way there, even though I haven't lived there for 18 years. I'm familiar with that route. But I went ahead and I plugged in my destination in Google Maps. I do this often when I'm going to a place I know how to get there. I go ahead and put the destination in Google Maps because if there is a roadblock, if there's a traffic jam, if there's construction, Google Maps will automatically find a detour. And that's exactly what it did. It found that there was major construction and the traffic jam on I-95, so it routed me a different path. It took me a different direction to get where I needed to go. And I didn't really understand all that was happening on I-95. I just saw there's a lot of traffic. It's routing me this direction. I'm gonna go this way because it's gonna get me to my destination sooner. And I put my trust in it, took it, and it got me there. No problems. This morning, I want you to recognize that there are probably some paths, some roads, some habits, some strategies that you have in your family life that you take them because you've always taken them. They're what you gleaned or gathered or caught from your family of origin and they might not be healthy. They might be familiar to you, they might be what you always have done and what your family always did, but there, there is a good chance that these roads and these paths that you've always gone down, that they lead you into jams, that they lead you into roadblocks. And I hope that this morning you'll recognize that even if you came from a good family, even if you came from a healthy family, even if you still have a great relationship with your parents, that doesn't mean that there is not some improvement that can be made in your parenting and in your family life. Now, it might be that you're here this morning and you know your family's a mess. You're raising your kids and what you have told yourself numerous times is, I'm sure not raising my kids like I was raised. I'm going to do a whole lot better job than my parents did, right? And you've gone looking for a new way to parent, a new way to lead your family, a new way to lead in your marriage. You're, you've gone looking for a new way to live your life other than what was normal or what you were accustomed to or what you grew up in. 
And it might be that as you've done that, you've gone looking for advice, gone looking for counsel. For those of you who are under the age of 35, you probably can't really grasp the way that we used to navigate to get from point A to point B. We would have these maps and these books, and if there was a detour or there was a traffic jam, you would get out and you would go talk to a real live person, and you would say, do you know how to get to such and such? You would go ask them. And and thinking back on it now, it's pretty crazy. You would walk up to a random stranger and you would ask them, do you know how to get to Raleigh? Do you know how to get to this place? And they would tell you, and you would believe them. <laughs> when, I, when I was in Raleigh going to college, I worked at a, at a pretzel store in the mall, and there were two pretzel stores in the mall. And the other pretzel store, they would occasionally send out coupons, and people would come to ours with their coupons, and we'd say, no, that, that's not our store. And then they would ask us, well, how do you get to the other pretzel store? I'm a nice person, I'd tell them. But I had a coworker that this offended him, that people would ask us to tell them how to get to the other pretzel store. So he would intentionally give them wrong directions, <laughs> lead them to the absolute other end of the mall. And people would listen to him and they would just go off. And who knows what happened to him? They're probably still looking for their pretzel <laughs> to this day. When we look for some guidance and some advice, friend, I hope that you're you're thinking, you're considering, where are you getting this guidance from? Where are you getting these directions? There are so many bad sources of parenting and marriage advice. There are so many bad sources on information about how we should live and what is right and wrong. And so today, we're not going to gather the counsel of random people on the street or even those who, quote, have expertise in the area. We're going to look at God's Word. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, where we're given a very simple, direct, short and sweet guidance, roadmap for parenting and family life. And if you're here this morning and you say, well, I guess I can just check out of this sermon because I'm not married or because I'm not a parent, I want you to recognize that this comes at the end of Ephesians and it's all about how do we live out our Christian life. And so whether or not you're a parent or a spouse, this has implications for you on how do you live out the Christian life. Let's pick up in chapter 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. When you get some some directions, when someone tells you how to get from point A to point B, They tell you about the turns that you need to make. When you get to the big tree, go left. When you come to I-95, go south. When you plug those directions into your map software, it just calls out to you. It calls out to you in a mile and a half. Take the left. Be in the left lane. In Ephesians chapter 6, I think there are three main guide points or directions called out to us. 
I want you to see, first of all, that we are all called to honor and or obey. What does that mean? Well, what it means is we're all called to honor, and some of us are called to obey. Paul says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Then he goes on to say, quoting the commandment from the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. He tells us this is the first commandment with promise. It's the first commandment that we're given a promise that if we live it out, things will go well with us. I want you to see there's a distinction that I believe that Paul is making here. I don't believe that Paul is telling all of us to obey our parents because there's two qualifiers in this verse. When he says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, the first qualifier is that he's speaking directly to children. The second qualifier is that he's saying, in the Lord. So let's talk about that first qualifier. Paul is speaking, he's addressing in that verse, children who are still children. Now, every one of us are children in one sense, right? Because every one of us have a mother and a father. Some of us are still children, right? Some of us have not grown into maturity. Some of us have not grown. We're not of age. But others of us should no longer be children. And in this passage of Scripture, Paul, multiple times through Ephesians 5 and 6, he narrows down in a specific audience. He talks to husbands. He talks to wives. Here he's talking to children. Now listen, because the Bible is a unified book, we not only interpret Scripture in the context of that passage, but we, we interpret Scripture in the context of the Bible. And we know that when Paul is telling us, children, obey your parents, that he's not expecting adult children to live still under the authority of their parents. We know this because he quotes Genesis in chapter 5. If you look back at chapter 5 uh, in uh, verse 31, just a few paragraphs before this one, he quotes that a man should leave his father and mother and should cleave to his wife. There should be this point where a man leaves the authority of his mom and dad and he sets up his own household where there will be a new authority. There will be a new accountability. Adults... You're not still bound to obey your parents. And I'm sure most of you are saying, good, because I don't, <laughs> right? I barely listened to them when I lived at home. I sure don't listen to them now. Paul is telling us that children should obey their parents, but he's not telling us that adults are still bound to listen to what their parents have to tell them 40 or 50 years into their life. And this is really important. Because right now, many of you have multiple masters in your marriage, in your parenting, in your life. You have multiple voices pulling you in multiple directions. In your marriage, you have all of these people who have their ideas and their counsel, and they're telling you where you should go, how you should act, whether or not you should listen to your spouse or not. They're all of these other people, and you're listening to them, and you're allowing them to have authority in your life where they have no place of authority. Some of you, are, you no longer listen to your parents, but you're listening to other people. 
You shouldn't have authority in your life. It's not your responsibility to obey them. Our responsibility for obedience is to the Lord. But then Paul goes on to say that we should honor our parents. And the commandment that was given in Exodus when Moses delivered the Ten Commandments, there were no qualifiers there because all of us should honor our parents. But you can honor your parents without obeying them. Just like you can obey your parents without honoring them. Right? And if you were ever a teenager, you probably did this. Right? You did what they told you, but you didn't like it, and you let them know that you didn't like it. You did what you were told, but you made it as difficult as possible. You made it as unpleasant for everyone as possible. That's when you're obeying and you're doing what you're told, but you're not honoring anybody. You're not making anyone pleased with the situation. Obedience is doing what you're told, and it's really cut and dry. Honor is more fluid. It's really easy to force someone to obey. It's, it's, it's nearly impossible to force someone to honor. And parents, some of you are dealing with that right now. You can get your kids to do what you say, but you can't get them to do it with a good attitude or with any respect. For some of you, the time has come for you to no longer obey your parents, but you are called to honor them. And that will look different based on your situation because honor is fluid. Based on the season of life that you're in, some of you right now, honoring your mother and father means calling them on a regular basis, even when you don't feel like it. For some of you, honoring your parents means caring for them, helping them. Honoring your parents means showing a loyalty to them, means showing an affection to them. And this is something that we can do throughout our lives. And this is something that we can do whether or not our parents are in the Lord. Because I believe that's the other qualifier there in verse 1. When we're told to obey, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And this is part of a larger theme that weaves throughout the closing of the book. We'll get to that at the end of the sermon. But young children who are under the authority of their parents are under that authority as it rests under the authority of the Lord. And it might be easier for you to make this distinction if we think about the context that Paul is writing to. He's writing to people who live under Roman rule, and in the Roman system, a father had such total authority over his children that he had the authority to sell his children into slavery. He had the authority to kill his children. I know some of you have threatened your kids, and you've said, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. It was legal in Rome. In Rome, where Ephesians are are familiar with this culture and this law, the, the Father could do any of that. Paul says, children, you are to obey your parents in the Lord. Our allegiance is to be to Jesus, number one. Our allegiance is to be so much more to Jesus than anyone else that, in fact, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says that your allegiance to me should be so much, so strong, that it makes your love for your family look like hate. 
Because he says in Matthew chapter 10, unless you hate your mother and your father to follow me, you're not worthy of me. So our allegiance is to King Jesus. So that means that even if you are a teenager, if your parents are telling you to do something illegal, if your parents are telling you to keep something quiet because they've abused you, you're not bound to that. And this is important because the, the place of authority does not come from flesh and blood, but it comes from the Lord. You know, there's a lot of, of emphasis that's placed on fleshly connection. Blood. Blood is thicker than water. We stick together because we're family. There's a lot of emphasis that's placed on biology and genetics and from that springs this fascination that so many in our world today have with ancestry and finding out who their ancestors are. And I kind of hate it that we have all of this emphasis on the flesh and blood because we are spirit people. I hate when someone refers to their real mother or real father speaking of their biological or genetic father or mother. Because... As people of the book, what we find in God's word again and again and again is there's this theme of adoption. We are adopted into the family of God. John chapter 1 says that we have been given the authority to become the sons of God. God has welcomed us into his family, though we do not belong there based on our biology or our chemistry or our nature, but we are welcomed in. Friend, if you have someone in your life that isn't your physical, biological, genetic mother or father, but they have been your mother or father, they have raised you, they are your real father. They are your real mother. Because they've raised you up. Not only would it make no sense for you to obey your mother and father now that you're an adult, for many of you to obey your father and your mother at this stage in your life, would you lead you away from King Jesus? Because they don't honor Jesus. They don't know him. Many of you are first-generation Christians. You know our church is really weird? You probably knew our church is really weird. Let me tell you one of the ways that our church is really weird. For most churches, Mother's Day is the second highest attended Sunday of the year. It's not like that at Faith Church. Because in a lot of churches... It's made up of moms who have children and grandchildren who are all going to come and be with mom on Mother's Day Sunday. That doesn't happen so much here. Because you're first generation Christians, many of you. You're the first one in your family tree to follow Jesus. You have a new allegiance. You are part of a new people. You're part of a new family. And that allegiance to King Jesus trumps all. More than you're an Edwards or a Smith or a Jones, you're a Christian. You're a believer. You're a son, a daughter of the king. You have a new family. You have new values. And you shouldn't abandon your genetic or biological family 
You, you shouldn't walk away from those people in your life. You shouldn't walk away from your friends. You, you shouldn't walk away from anyone. But you don't have some allegiance to them because of their blood. Your family might not understand it because it's so different from what they want or expect. But you can honor them and love them without obeying them and following them. The importance of family is not blood relation. It's not the mystery of your ancestry. It's not the power of biology and genetics. The importance of family is that family is an institution that God established where we could experience love and community and bring God glory and be raised up to follow him. And that's where we find the second calling of this passage. We're called to honor, and some of us are called to obedience. But secondly, we're called to submissive servant leadership. I hope that nobody walks away from this sermon and is like, hey, based on what Pastor Daniel said, we don't have to obey our parents. Right? Like, teenagers, that is not the point of this message, okay? <laughs> obedience is very important. Obedience is extremely important. Many years ago, my family went to get ice cream with some other families, and there was a family there with a small child. And this ice cream stand is near a busy road. And this young child who would not obey continuously attempted to run into the road. Listen, I love ice cream. I did not enjoy ice cream that day because I felt like I was about to watch a child's life end because he could not, would not obey. And there are times that we think it's funny or cute when kids don't obey. It's not funny or cute. Whether or not there is a road nearby, disobedience is dangerous. Disobedience leads to a child growing up into an adult who is unable to hear. Disobedience is terrifying when there's a busy road nearby. It's also terrifying when we live in a world plagued with evil and the evil one who wants to destroy people. And if we raise up children who are unable to obey, who've never had to listen, they will live out all of the warnings that you find in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs catalogs all of these these consequences that a fool will face. You know what a fool is? A fool is someone who refuses to listen. Someone who refuses to learn. And if we raise up our children without making them obey, we're raising up our children to live a life where they do not listen. The word in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 is the root word for acoustic. Don't worry, I'm not going to try to actually play this. This is Don's acoustic guitar. And it's acoustic because even if it's not plugged in, you can, you can hear it. And sometimes we'll have a problem here at the church where someone's playing the acoustic guitar and it can be heard on stage, but it can't be heard out there. Or it can't be heard on the live stream because the pickup, the electronic component, 
that picks up that sound and communicates to our soundboard board and communicates it to the live stream that there's something broken in it, something that is disconnected. When we raise children and we don't teach them to obey, we're short-circuiting their wiring. And they grow up and they can't hear instruction. They can't hear wisdom. They can't hear warning. Some of you, this is the way that you were raised. You were raised that you got to rule the house in all of your wisdom at the age of four. And everybody else had to do what you wanted to do. You held everyone captive as a little tiny terrorist and dictator in the household. And because everybody listened to you, you never listened to anyone. And even to this day, now that you are an adult, there is a spirit of rebellion in you that makes it difficult for you to hear from a boss, from a teacher, from a pastor, from a mentor, from someone who would disciple you. Those of you who were not raised by parents, but you were raised by people who were more like your friends, they raised you up to be incapable of listening. Every child must obey because every adult needs to listen. I was reminded of that story of the experience at the, at the ice cream stand next to the road. Because preparing for this message, I, I came across an article that was written by John Mark Comer's mother. John Mark Comer is a pastor that many of you have read books of his. I, I, I greatly appreciate his sermons. We're going to sing a song at the end of the service today that was written by the church he pastored based on his preaching on formation and how we become like Jesus. But you know that John Mark Comer wasn't, wasn't born a pastor? He was born a child, like every one of us. And in that article, John Mark Homer's mother writes about how when he was first born, they were just so filled with joy and love like every parent is, like we talked about last Sunday. But exactly two years later, on John Mark's second birthday, when they had friends and family over for a party at a neighborhood park, he took off running towards the street. John Mark's mother was pregnant. And she's trying to chase after him, and she's calling, telling him to stop. And he looks over his shoulder at her waddling after him, and he laughs at her and continues to run. But no one else at the party is laughing because everyone else at the party knows how dangerous this situation is. Thankfully, another mother was able to swoop him up before he ended up in the road. He had to learn to listen. Listen, every child is different. And every child's personality and makeup and their experiences is different. But every child must learn to obey. Even someone who goes on to be a pastor, someone had to teach that person to obey. Listen, nobody in here, nobody in here is raising the next Savior. All right? None of us are raising a Messiah. There's been only one perfect person, Jesus. Everyone else raised is marked by a broken sin condition. 
We're believers. We believe what the scripture says about mankind. We know that everyone in our family tree is a sinner. Every one of our descendants is a sinner. And I, I understand the spirit of what we're saying when we say things like, oh, he's a good kid. Oh, she's, she's a good girl. I understand the spirit of what we're saying, but we don't believe that. They're not good kids. They're not. They're sinners. Every one of them. Every one of them is broken with a sin condition. Every one of them needs King Jesus to restore them and redeem them. And I know that they might look like a sweet little angel to you, but I promise you deep within them is the same sin that is breaking and ruining all of us. And every one of them needs the gospel. And if we raise them up to be this person who cannot listen, who does not have the humility to hear, how can they ever hear the gospel? How can they ever hear the salvation that will save their soul? Obedience is so very important because it trains them to listen. The Bible makes it clear that everyone needs Jesus. Even your little angel. We're all raising sinners who need Jesus and his redemption and his restoration, just like you and I did. The next generation needs him too. It's for that reason Paul says in verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. And listen, Paul isn't giving moms a pass here. It isn't just the responsibility of dads because in verse 1, he says parents. It's both, but the responsibility and authority first comes to dad. Dad, we have to be the ones who lead in our homes. God's going to hold us to account first. He says in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The world believes that everyone's basically good. And it's the environment and the culture that corrupts them. But we as believers know that everyone is basically a sinner. And it's not that we need to protect them from the outside world to keep them from being corrupted. We need to rescue them from the sin nature that they were born with. So you're given an incredibly important job, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. Even if your child is, quote, perfect, your child needs to be raised up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Even Jesus needs that. Luke 2.52 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. You realize that's the four areas of development that every child needs. Grew in wisdom, there's mental development. Grew in stature, there's physical development. Grew in favor with God and man. Favor with God, there's spiritual development. Favor with man, there's social development. Even the perfect child needs to be developed in those four areas. And you're not raising the perfect child. Sadly, you're raising the child that's picking up all of your imperfections and bad habits. Just like mine are picking up mine. It's for this reason that we've got our work cut out for us, and the word parent is not just a noun or a title, it is a verb. Because it's a role, it's a job, it's a calling, it's hard work. Verse 4 says, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And sadly, we've abdicated our role as the chief development officers for our children's lives. We've delegated that role to teachers and counselors and doctors and youth pastors. 
But none of those people are listed in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul doesn't say, hey, listen, teachers, listen, youth pastors, raise these children up in the nurture and admission of the Lord. He says, parents, it's you and me. So how do we do this? Well, the children are told to listen to the commands, to obey the commands. So there's got to be some commands. You know what you got to be to... To make commands, you've got to be in command. You've got to be in charge. And listen, I know that it is a whole lot easier for someone else to be in charge. Trust me. But this is our calling. We're called to be in charge of our household. We've got to be in command. We've got to take that role. We've got to give commands. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The word training means discipline. It's used elsewhere in scripture for chastening. It means holding accountable. It means that when you give a command and it's not followed, you do something about it. There's, there's a holding to an account. Training and admonition of the Lord. The word admonition is where we get Neuthetics, which is another word for counseling. It means to counsel them. So you're not just barking out orders and punishing when they're not listened. You're counseling. And you're talking. And I think this is what Deuteronomy 6 is speaking about when it says that you will talk with your children about the works of the Lord when you rise up and when you lie down, when you walk by the way, and when you sit at a meal. You'll speak of God's goodness. Moms and dads, are you overwhelmed yet? Because this is a tall order. And, and I just told you, nobody else is listed here in Ephesians chapter 6, so it's all on you. Well, I've got good news. The third calling of this passage is that we're all called to follow Jesus and be filled and empowered by his Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6 falls after Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 1, we're given this opening poem and song about the goodness of God and how he's rescued us from our sin and given us restoration. Verses 5 to 9 say this, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory of grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. How is this possible? How can we do this? It's possible because Jesus has rescued us to himself and then given us his spirit to live out this new reality. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that we should be different now. Verse 17 says in Ephesians chapter 5, Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's picking up right where chapter 1 was referring to us finding the will of God. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And verse 18 says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. 
Do you know what is the, the largest growing section of people who are in danger of kidney disease? It's, it's women in their late 20s, 30s, and early 40s. You know why? Because in the last 10 to 15 years, it's become incredibly acceptable for moms to drink. It's the way you medicate when your kids are driving you crazy. Social media has made it incredibly common. And I get it, because if you're struggling and you're frustrated and it's hard, something to take the edge off makes sense. Paul says, listen, we don't make it through this life by taking the edge off by being drunk. We don't medicate it away. Don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. When your kids make you want to drink, you need more of the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And throughout the remainder of the book, Paul is constantly telling us all of these things that will happen. They happen in the Lord. Verse 19, the Spirit produces songs to the Lord Jesus. Verse 20, he produces gratitude to God in the name of the Lord Jesus. 21, he produces submission in all of us in the reverence of Christ. 22, wives submit themselves to their husbands to the Lord. 25, husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. 6-1, children obey their parents in the Lord. 6-4, fathers bring up their children in the discipline and admonition of the You can't do this on your own. You're not up to the task, and neither am I. It's only through the help of King Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. The last thing I would want for you to do today is to walk away from this passage, walk away from this sermon, and be like, all right, that's the way I need to go. I better get started. It's going to be a lot of hard work. i got to just do my best. I was reminded just recently, uh, my pickup truck broke up, broke down one time, and uh, I was driving along. It just died. No, no gauges on the dash. No, no, no flashing lights. No, everything seemed to be working fine, and it just quit. And I couldn't get it to start, so I had to have it towed to a mechanic. The mechanic had it for over a week because everything he looked at didn't make any sense. And he finally called another mechanic and said. He listed off all the things he had tried, and the other mechanic said, does it have gas in it? <laughs> the only thing broken on that truck was the gas gauge. The gas gauge broke, and it told me that it had gas when it didn't. And I had run the truck out of gas, thinking that it had plenty of gas. And the mechanic had worked on it a week, thinking it had plenty of gas. But it had no gas in it. Listen, you might think you know the way to go, but if you don't have the power of God's presence and spirit, we'll never be able to lead our homes, lead our families, live this life that God calls us to live. It must be lived in the Lord. Would you bow our heads, bow our heads, your heads with me for a word of prayer?